So hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb. Unfortunately, my co-host, Jeff Ayers, is unable to make it tonight, but he's missing out on a fantastic interview that we got coming up for you. I want to remind you that all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books, so visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on everything that they got going on. Uh, we got a fantastic show for you tonight. We are so pleased to be able to bring back to the show the author of Backlash, which is book 19 in his Scott Horvath series, and it's none other than best-selling author Brad Thor. So, Brad, how you doing? Hey, I'm, I'm well, and I've got to just start out. I always hate to correct my host. Oh, I've no. written nine, 19 novels. I've written 19. Right. But Backlash is actually the 18th in the Scott Harvath series. I did a spinoff book called The Athena Project, which was oh, – yeah. Harvath was in it for one chapter, but it's not, it's oh. not a Harvath book. Okay, so Scott Horvath has been in 19 books, 18 all the way, <laughs> yeah. and one just a little bit. Okay. Perfect. So, all right, so there you go. But, um, yeah, but still, 18, man, quite an accomplishment. And Scott Horvath is just one of those characters that, uh, you know, a lot of the times when I read and I read series, um, you know, the, the, the character himself is kind of like, eh, I just like to kind of get into the story and kind of see what's going on that way. But Scott's a different breed. So tell us a little about Backlash and why you kind of think Scott is that character that people come back to want to know along with the story, I guess. Well, it's probably – so with Harvath, it's, it's probably one of the biggest – challenges that an author faces when he's writing a series character is how do you keep revealing new things about them? How do you keep them fresh? How do you keep them interested, uh, interesting Excuse me, for readers? And that's, that's the challenge for me. I always set the bar higher with each book. Uh, I, I, a friend of mine the other day called it, uh, he used some Zen concept called beginner's mind because I always go at my, uh, my book saying, okay, if nobody knew who I was, is this book good enough to get me a publishing contract? Is this book worthy of being published? Because I always tell people, I'll go drive an Uber before I phone it in. Nothing wrong with driving Uber, but I will never phone a book in and just expect fans to buy it. I think that's, that's terrible. You constantly, as a writer, should be looking to improve yourself. It's one of these great businesses. It's one of these great careers where you can constantly get better. And I spend a tremendous amount of my time uh, in between books during the year reading books on writing. So I'm constantly trying to improve my, uh, my craft. Yeah, and I think that that's extremely important uh, because it's like with anything, whether you're a sports you know, person, whether you're a musician, you're constantly practicing to get better, to do different twists and things that people, when they see Backlash or when they pick up Blacklist or when they pick up Lines of Lasorn or foreign influence, they kind of see a different Brad Thor all the time along with a different character. It's true. It's, I've got friends who are athletes, and they're looking for the ability to bench press an extra two pounds because it could make a difference on the field if they can do that. So uh, it, it's it's part of my nature. My dad uh, is a no longer active U.S. Marine. My mom was a flight attendant for TWA, and they were very much, you know, never rest on your laurels. They were really serious about it. if you're lucky enough to have a career where people want to pay you to do that and, uh, and you enjoy your yeah. work, you better 
better make sure that every day you show up, you give everything you have. And so book writing has always been that for me, and it's it's, it's stressful. I was just listening to Aaron Sorkin, uh, who wrote uh, the screenplay for The American President with Michael Douglas that Rob oh, Ryan yeah. directed. Yep. Uh, he did West Wing. And Sorkin was interesting. I have a lot of respect for him because he admitted something that I think a lot of writers would be afraid to admit. And Sorkin said his default setting, his factory setting, is writer's block. So if he's not writing, that's the default setting. He says it's weird when he does get words on paper. And I thought, my gosh, this guy is very brave to admit that, but you can't argue with his success. So as a writer and for all of your listeners who are writers, we all know that it's really tough to come in and turn on the computer every day and sit down and write because we're creating stuff out of thin air. There is no instruction manual that says do this, do that. Um, and I think for someone like me who has a very organic process, I don't I don't uh, outline. Um, so it's really tough. I come into my office every day and there's a high level of stress because I don't know what it is I'm going to do. And I think it was Dorothy Parker that said, I don't like writing. I like having written, and uh, and while I enjoy my job, the best part is getting on the road and meeting fans and hearing from readers on social media. It's tough. It's tough to try to better yourself every single day in the office, but if it was easy, it would be boring, so I love the challenge. True that. So why don't we jump into Backlash and tell a little bit, and tell everybody a little bit about what you got going on in this one. Sure. So Backlash opens with my main character, Scott Harvath, being uh, – he has been taken captive, something that's never happened in any of my books. A, a foreign uh, group decides this guy has been a pain in their ass, and they're going to come grab him. They're going to risk everything to grab him on U.S. soil because they figure he's not going to see it coming, and there's a lot of blood to get him. There's a lot of bad stuff that happens in the process of uh, this group putting a bag over his head. And they drag him overseas, and they are going to take him to their own version of a black site. And they are going to wring everything they can out of him, and then they're going to kill him. But on the way there, the plane that he's on develops uh, engine, a catastrophic engine failure and goes down. And he is in some of the most inhospitable, one of the remotest regions in the world. And he's got to get out before they can get to him. And he knows the cavalry's not coming. Nobody knows where he is. Nobody knows who grabbed him. Uh, the United States is in a panic. They're trying to figure out what happened to him. And uh, so it is the race is on for him to get to the border and get out of this particular country before the bad guys can catch up to him. And then, of course, back home in the United States, it's frantic, too, because they're trying to pinpoint him uh, so they can pick him up and help him uh, get out of the predicament he's in. Uh, one of the neat terms I heard when I was researching this book is it's not finding the needle in the haystack that's important. They said, first, you've got to find the haystack. So I thought that was pretty cool. You know, the one thing that I do when, when I get book uh, to, to review, like, like yours, I always kind of go and I always kind of read, you know, the synopsis, you know, what was put together, you know, like what did the author put together that he wants me to kind of understand. And the thing that got me was your bad guy in this one. The way that you kind of wrote it, and so I'm, so I'm getting into this book, when I get into this book and I'm like, this bad guy is going to be badass. Talk a little bit about the creation of that character, uh, how you did it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, don't give away any spoilers, but I'm just saying that was such a great creation that you did. Ta just talk a little bit about that. 
Well, I think it was Mark Twain originally said that the difference between fiction and reality is that people expect fiction to make sense. They don't expect reality to make sense, but they do expect fiction to make sense. Exactly. Um, the bad guy in this book is based on a real-life guy, really, really bad guy. His, uh, his group has been in the news. Uh, they do a lot of bidding for a bad foreign power, and they move around the world, and they're behind the scenes in places like Venezuela and Syria and Iran and – they're all over the place, and the the guy actually, and this is this is it just amazes me that it, uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed in the 90s, this this really weird cult-like pagan religion grew up. This is legit; I didn't make this up, but grew up in Russia, and it was all based on kind of Nazi ideology. And there was a special forces uh, officer, Russian Spetsnaz officer, uh, who took as his call sign uh, Wagner, uh, the German composer, who was one of Hitler's favorite composers. And he created basically the Blackwater of Russia. Now, private military corporations are not allowed to exist in Russia, yet this one does, and it does all of Vladimir Putin's bidding. They send them all around the world to do this very sneaky, very deadly stuff in the shadows so that Putin could say, it's not us, not our guys. And uh, so this guy, Wagner, is a very, very bad character that is just an absolute devotee of Nazism, particularly the Schutzstaffel, the SS. And he makes his men swear an allegiance very similar to the allegiance that the SS swore in uh, 1930s, 1940s Germany. So based on a real-life guy, very, very, very scary guy. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, that just scares me even more to know that that was based off of a real person. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's part of the fun of doing the books, though, is I really – I call what I do faction, where you don't know where the facts end and the fiction begins. And one of the neatest things I hear from readers is, boy, Brad, I have to read your thrillers with my laptop open because half the stuff I see yeah. in there, I can't believe it's true. And I search it, and boom, there it is. It's actually real. So that, that for me is the challenge of putting in those neat kind of Easter eggs but not overdoing it. You want, that, you want people to keep turning those pages uh, late into the night. But but it's fun because I think people close my novels having learned a lot and having had fun in the process of doing it. Right. Now, my co-host Jeff Ferris couldn't be here. I believe you know Jeff. Uh, he's I do know Jeff. Who, I've known him yeah. many years. Great guy. Yeah. Well, he had a couple questions he wanted to ask you. He, you know, he apologizes for not being able to show up, but he did, he did throw in a couple questions into the ring. So he wants to kind of know, do you think that the military fiction genre now has replaced the spy thrillers? And why did you stop writing the Athena Project series? Well, I only – so first we'll start with last one first. So I wrote one book, uh, The Athena Project, intending right. to see how that did in the marketplace to see if I want to do it. And fans love it. But that year I had to write two books. It was real. It's hard enough to write one book a year, which is what my contract calls for. But right. to set up a second book and to write that in the same year, I mean, it was amazing. I watched my dog actually go gray in front of my eyes. Oh, it Jesus. was. Yeah, the dog was sucking up some of my stress, I think. Uh, so it was it was hard to write two books in a year, and that's that. pretty much the only reason. Like if my publisher came to me and said, listen, you can take a year off on Scott Harvath, go write another Athena, I'd go do it. But the fact is the Harvath fans want Harvath every year. People plan their vacations around the timing, uh, the release of the book. So that's what it's always been is do I have enough time to write two books in a year, and will the quality be what I want? So – 
it's you know if I could get a 25th hour in my day, maybe there would be a uh, another Athena project book in the same year as a Harvath book. And then what Jeff's saying about the military stuff, I think all the post 9/11 world with with us seeing so much and getting such a picture into kind of the special operations world in particular with Delta Force and the SEALs and uh, even down to things we've seen with the pararescue guys uh, and uh, Force Recon Marines. There have been there have been such interesting real life characters that we're all being exposed to that I think the uh, I think the military thriller genre is interesting. Um, I've got a hybrid, so my stuff is not. Uh, yeah, I've got a guy who was a Navy SEAL that gets recruited to do. Espionage work, so I've got the best of both worlds in my thrillers, and that for me is is a lot of fun. I'm not strictly in one category. I got I got feet on both sides of that line. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing that I always thought of is in today's kind of social media and today's very highly political society, with when when the citizens know so much now, and we have so much access to so much information that we never had before. I think that that kind of got rid of the mystique of the spy a little bit, and I think that's why military fiction is so big, because this is what you're seeing in the news every day, all the time, and, 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 you're, and when you write it in, in this way, that this is what people are familiar with. Do you, do you think that that's kind of, do you kind of agree with that, and do you think that the citizens, with everything that we do know, know too much sometimes? Well, I think, I think, we do know a lot about what's going on. I think there's a great appeal with uh, with the whole military side of stuff because it's a lot more kinetic. There's a lot more action that's happening on that end, a lot more danger, a lot more – there's risk with spies. But if you talk to a real spy, a spy is going to tell you that spy work is basically long periods of boredom punctuated with quick uh, spots of excitement. So you, know, you think of George Smiley going and looking at some of these – characters and the kind of twists and turns and you didn't know who was going to put the knife between your ribs and all that kind of stuff. I think that audiences have changed to a certain degree. They want more James Bond than George Smiley. So there's got to be action. There's got to, you, you have to keep people's blood pumping. And that's something that definitely happens when you're kicking in doors and shooting bad guys in the face. Uh, in the, in starting with President Jimmy Carter, we really started getting away from actual human intelligence gathering and started relying more on on uh, signals intelligence and having machines and computers and all of this kind of stuff. So that true kind of Cold War era spy, these people still exist. They have to go out and build human networks. It's funny, when I do some of the stuff in my books, I'll have real spies I know go, you know, there'd be six people between Scott Harvath and that person that you're writing. And I said, yeah, but I'm not writing a technical manual. I'm right. not writing a how-to. I've got to keep the pace going and keep it exciting. And if Harvath's got to go through six locks before the door opens, it's going to lose a little bit of the sizzle. You know, yeah. so but I think we live in a time where people are exposed to tons and tons of information. Um, I, I'm a big I'm a big believer in freedom. I like freedom of people to make their own decisions. I like freedom of information. People to have freedom to choose what books they want to write, what jobs they Absolutely. want to do, what books they want to read. So I'm cool with the amount of information out there and all that kind of stuff. The things I'm not cool with are like a Bradley Manning or an Edward Snowden. These these twenty something year old or what's her name uh, reality winner. Uh, these 
20-something-year-old kids that are – they're adults. So I take that back, kids. These 20-something-year-olds that are deciding what should be a national security secret and what shouldn't. They don't like something, so instead of finding a, finding a sympathetic senator who might be able to open a proper investigation, they just expose it. So that kind of stuff, I think that that's not good. But the stuff that does get out there, I think it's, sometimes it can be bad, though. Sometimes uh, we do see a little bit too much of sources and methods sometimes being exposed, and I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I don't like it when it puts the process or the people in danger. That's, that's where the, the bright line is for me. Yeah, the, the only thing, that, and the other thing I'd like to add is that I think that with so much information, now you get so much false information, uh, too, and to try to sort through all of that, that's becoming more difficult. Where I think when we only had four TV stations, you had the news three times, you had three people, they were all pretty much saying the same thing because the opinions really weren't there. They were just kind of giving you what it was. And so that's the thing for me that I always wonder is like, you know, all the false information that kind of can kind of get out there. Yeah, and now people are siloed. So you see the yeah. the percentage of people that get their news from Facebook of all places. Can you believe uh, that? Yeah, That's it's kind of scary. scary. Yeah, it, it is scary, and uh, we can romanticize the past and all that kind of stuff, but one thing that was sure. interesting, when you did have a limited amount of places you were getting your news, people were talking about the same issues. Now it's so fragmented, and you could have – it's like 20 people see an accident. They each have a different recollection of how the accident happened. That's almost like what's going on with news now. There's uh, fake news and all that kind of stuff. So uh, with I, I think that we've got greater access to information, and I think we're dumber than we've ever been. We, we don't hold on to information. We figure I can just look it up on my uh, on my iPhone. I can go to Wikipedia. So I think we've we've lost the ability to think and reason critically. We haven't lost it permanently, but I think it's kind of way back in the attic. We're we're just kind of zombieing out on some of this stuff. It's like drinking from a fire hose, though. It's constantly coming at you. <laughs> Nothing makes me happier than to shut all my devices down at the end of my day and. And, uh, you know, I, I barely watch any TV news anymore. I've just really just – I've OD'd. I feel like the guy who ate way too much on Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, managed or to Halloween, get a piece of pie. Or Halloween, coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah Halloween too. We're going out gorging on candy. I know, you know, I, it's always that great car commercial where I remember when the people get in the car and they drive and they drive and they drive. And they're like, yep, right here. And that's when they look at their phones and it says no service. And they're like, this is where we're staying. <laughs> oh, yeah. Isn't that a great commercial? Yeah, that that's fantastic. Commercial. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you write in a field, of course, where it's a, it's a very volatile field. And do you ever see, you know, some, you know, pun, no pun intended, do you ever see some backlash from your fans? And kind of how do you deal with that when a fan is, you know, kind of, writing about, uh, you know, kind of saying, oh, this wasn't true, or this was this, or I've done this, or, you know, you're too political, or this, you know, how do you deal with that? Well, so this spring, it'll be two years that I just said, I'm done with politics. I'm not going to talk about it on social media. I'm just, I'm out. I'm not doing it. So I'm coming up on a nice anniversary. Uh, and I, listen, I, it, it, the current political environment, no matter how you vote, no matter who you like, don't like, it is very, very, it's hyper-partisan and it's toxic to a certain degree. And there isn't so much a, uh, as much a trying to persuade people as trying to bear people and yep. it's just it's not
not it's not and I do you know international thrillers that involve some politics and stuff I, it's changed the way I write uh, to a certain degree I oh. really dialed back some of my White House West Wing Oval Office scenes and things like that because I don't want people and even congressional things I'll write about the CIA and the FBI a little bit of the White House because it is involved with some of these particularly high level operations but I, I don't want people to misunderstand what I'm writing I don't want people to read things into it that's not there I don't want them to say you're being too nice to this person or mm-hmm. that real life person no it's not based on this real life person I don't even want to have those discussions uh, in the realm of social media so I've, I've found a way to come at the subject matter without walking through a landmine uh, a minefield to get there if that makes sense it does make a lot of sense. And you know what? And I think that you said something that, that, that really kind of broke my heart a little bit was that you had to change your writing because of the political and how, and, and how people are acting today. And, you know, that does. It kind of breaks my heart to know that you really, you know, that, that you just can't put out what you really want to kind of put out. So uh, you know, I'm sorry for that. It, I don't, it actually, I looked at it as a challenge. So my number one job is to entertain people. And if and you I do every pass, time. <laughs> well, thank you. And that's, that's what I'm trying to do, and I'm trying to get better every time. So I looked at this as an opportunity to come at the information through the eyes of different characters. I mean, I still have a president in my books, and you still sure. see the president in the Oval Office and all this kind of stuff. But some of the intrigues that I may have written between a president and a vice president, I don't want people reading into it saying, is this supposed to be Donald Trump and Mike Pence? Are you being nice to them? Are you not being nice to them? What's the deal? Right. I just I don't want people reading into that. So what I've found is that it's actually helped me grow as a writer because instead of exploring those themes and those issues uh, through those characters the way I might have 10 years ago, I'm finding another way to do it. So I'm talking about stuff that's happening at the CIA where the White House has created a new policy. You know, there, there's ways to do it, and so it's caused me to come at, you know, it, it's like I, I always tell people that you, you do the glasses half full, half empty. Well, I'm interested if you put the glass on a glass coffee table, what does it look like from underneath? What does it look like from 90 degrees around the other side? So it, it's still the same. As long as men and women have been organized and warfare has existed, there's been politics involved. So politics are always part of the thrillers that I write. I've just found new ways to do it so that I don't break. I don't want to break people's uh, – I don't want to – people give you a suspension of disbelief while they're reading your books, and you don't want to break that fantasy. So I don't want to put things in the books that are going to cause people to go, huh, I wonder what he means by that, because that stops them from enjoying the book. And my number one job is to entertain people. So if I have to find a different way to tell the stories so that I continually entertain, that's a challenge, and I like a challenge, and that's what I do. Great answer. So don't be heartbroken, John. I know, that's a me. great answer, though. But you, know, but you understood what I kind of mean. I sure. Think. Oh, I get um, it. I get it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So now you, you mentioned that you like to go out and you like to uh, you know, go on tour a little bit. Now, besides just going on a book tour on your own, what conventions do you uh, like to kind of hit every year? Well, so I haven't been – unfortunately, the International Thriller Writers Conference always happens when I have a book out. It is the craziest thing. I'm always Week on after tour. July 4th. 
I know. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, but this year I'm doing uh, the Tucson Literary Festival, which I believe is in March. So it's yes. the first time in a while I've done one. So that's I get a lot of very lovely offers, and I just haven't did, to create a book a year, raise my family, and do all. I've done some of Barbara Bush's uh, the Literary Foundation stuff because I've known oh. some people involved with that. Yeah. I've done some of Barbara Bush's events. Uh, God rest her soul. Uh, there were just some lovely nonpartisan people involved in that organization promoting literacy across the yep. country, and it was very, very worthwhile. I've met some lovely, lovely authors there. Um, so, But this year, or I should say 2020, I'll be doing the Tucson Literary Festival in March. Uh, nothing else on the schedule right now, uh, but yeah. you know, I need every moment of every day uh, to be a dad, be a husband, uh, to write another Scott Harvath novel. So I don't get to do as many festivals as I would like. Oh, that's too bad. Savannah's uh, another one. That's a great one I've done multiple times, though. That's a, which one? A shout out to Savannah. Fabulous. One. Oh, okay. Yeah, cause, um, because I know you're from the Midwest. I think Malice is close to Killer Nashville. It would be great if you would ever have time to maybe hit one of those. I know BoucherCon is going on in Dallas right now, uh, so that's that's a big one. But, yeah, yeah ITW is one that, you know, Thriller Fest we always go to, uh, so it would be great to, to see there one time. But yeah, it's, always the, it's always the week after July 4th and, you know, right in the middle of the, of the summer. So Yeah, I like they, to do that's it. That's the hard thing because my books come out right around that time, so it, it's yeah. all it's all about scheduling and all that kind of things. But it, Thriller yeah. Fest is a great, and I'm one of the I'm one of the original um, uh, founding members uh, when they came out when you know Steve Barry and Gail came out and everything David, and Dave, or David yeah. Morrell, David yeah, Morrell. and I was one of the first people to sign up to be a, uh, a sponsoring member of it. So I've been with them from the very beginning. It's a great, great group. Yeah, it is, um, and I and I see you talk about it on Twitter and and things like that. So so I know you're active on Twitter. Um, are you still and you and you do a little bit of things on Facebook? But BradThor.com is the best place for everyone to kind of find out about everything you got going on. Absolutely, that's perfect. Okay, good. Well, Brad, hey man, uh, again, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, we always have a great time, and I can't, I can't believe book eighteen. And we're going to see, you know, book 19 coming out, and I'm sure that you're hard working at that one now. In fact, it's probably already with the publisher, and you're doing the editing and everything right now, and you're already thinking about 20, which is a nice milestone. So uh, you're probably thinking of something explosive for us uh, coming up in a couple years, I would think. Yeah, it should be. It's it's a really it's a it's a good it's a good position to be in because I'm writing uh, actually. So this this summer coming up 2020 will be the 20th book I've written. It'll be the 19th Harvath. That's the one I'm putting to bed now, and we're we're very soon. Uh, my email uh, newsletter subscribers always get the the great stuff first. So we're about to announce the yep. release date and the title, and we may even have cover art shortly here. Ooh. So if you're not already signed up. Bradthor.com. Well, Make sure you sign up. Black, Backlash was one of your was one of my favorite covers. I oh, love that cover. you really enjoyed that, huh? Thank you. Oh, uh, dude! Right when you see that, you're like Russia. Yes, yeah. give it to me. And then you yeah. see snow because at first mm-hmm. you see it, and you're like what? And then you look up, and you're like, oh, it's snow, Russia. Oh yeah, give it to me right now. <laughs> yeah, and that and that white color with the red just I mean popped. I mean I'm looking at it right now. Thank you. So, yeah, I, I am too. I got a nice poster of it in my office. Yeah. All right, Brad. Hey, again, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure. So you stay safe, and we will uh, see you and talk with you soon. Thanks, Sean. It was great being with you again. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.